This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Great stuff. We're going to um, continue on what uh, John challenged us with. John Yep challenged us last week about on kingdom relationships and um, I think for all of us, oh, we still need to take up the offering. So the ushers, they're going to go around. I'm going to start telling a story when, like, when we do that. Uh, don't be under obligation to give. It's a privilege to give, and it's just amazing that we belong to a church where people really want to give. But just on, on, um, on the children's church, uh, put your faith out with us. We're really trusting God. That's the vision is to... Um, to eventually get our own place where we can have massive jumping castles and slides and water slides and everything uh, so that the children just want to stay there the whole week, you know, uh, make it a destination. It's always a challenge to be in a school hall. We have to do setup and all that stuff. But um, raising up the next generation, children must love the church. They must, I think a lot of people, and I found that, you know, I've only been a short while in ministry uh, it's only 22 years now, but um, I found that a lot of people, they come when they're teenagers uh, or in a tough spot, then suddenly they want to say, hey, can't we pray? Let's uh, do the youth thing right, you know, but then it's almost too late. Um, if you don't train your children up between the age of zero and nine, um, in the presence of God, to love the house of God, to love the people of God. Don't expect that when they're teenagers and later that they're actually going to have that desire to love the presence of God. If it's not in your home, if it's not in the people of God, then, um, and so, so I always challenge people and say, hey, don't look at the weather as to whether you're going to come to church. Make your children just love and have fun when they come to church. They must want to come to church. Uh, but also to be trained in the Word more than ever. You know, it's not just to keep them busy, but actually to make them soldiers for Christ. Um, and so between the age of zero and nine is the most important time to train up your children. And so let's be challenged with that. It's never too late. So if you made a mistake, that's all right. Just pray. I mean, just keep on praying. The story I want to tell is, um, and um, it's connected a bit to the scripture, but Eugene and I went to pray for somebody uh, yesterday, and it was actually a very funny moment, because this person was really on the verge of dying a couple of times the past two or three weeks, and um, in and out, heaven's doors went knock, knock, knocking on heaven's doors, you know, and, um, and so as we're praying, we have this deep spiritual moment, so there's this bed, and the guy's lying on the bed, and so so I'm standing there now. I'm going in for this moment, and I'm starting to pray. And this, um, they have like these. They have two cats, and the cats are in the house. And the one cat jumps onto the bed, and and so the cat comes, and the cat sort of rubs itself on my hand. Now I'm starting to pray, and in the second sentence of the prayer, this cat decides to attack me. You know, <laughs> so you'll see the marks on my hands, but the cat goes for my hand. You know. And so now I'm praying, I'm deeply spiritual on the one side, but this cat is going, and I'm going, like, mm, 
you know, and their eyes are all closed. They think we're in heaven, you know. Now I'm lifting up my hand and the cat is hanging onto my hand and I'm trying to shake the cat. I'm trying to throw the cat out the window and I think like, no, no, all they have all the animal lovers against me. And so I'm just trying, you know, and so I'm having this deep moment with the Lord, but um, I don't know, can cats have demons? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just asking. But sometimes you're in the most spiritual moment and then this cat comes, you know. Sorry for the cat lovers, but I don't like cats. I'm allergic to cats in any case, to their hair. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was, it was such a moment of you want to be spiritual and then life comes at you, you know. And so the context of what we're reading today and relationships is the book of James. And the book, James is a very pragmatic, it's actually, his real name is actually Jacob. So some translations actually talks about the book of Jacob, not, you know, Jacobus, not about James. And so James has got a lot of themes and challenges. And James was the half-brother of Jesus. There's a lot of other sort of interpretations of who wrote the book of Jacob or James. Uh, but most people would say it was the half-brother of Jesus that eventually um, was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And, uh, and they were, it was really tough. It was tough times for them. Um, the, most of them were Jewish guys, and the thriving church was in Antioch. That was a sending church. And Jerusalem was, you know, they were even persecuted by the religious establishment around them. Called Me they were Messianic Jews in Jerusalem and uh, lo lots of things we can say about the circumstances, but James is, wrote this book, and it was very pragmatic, a lot of issues, about 12 of them. Uh, one of the things you'll find in the book of James is especially the way we talk. You know, he says in, I think, James chapter 2, the, the mouth is a rudder of the ship. You know, how you worship God, how you let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let, let, you know, there's a lot of practical things he gives to us, but... Probably one of the biggest challenges in the book of James is to live out your faith. Don't let it just be an intellectual experience, but let it be uh, a doing. Faith is a doing word. It's, a, it's a in action. And so we're catching up at the end in James chapter 5 where he shares a lot of things. Uh, but he's talking about the Christian community and some things that should, have, should probably be like, um, it, it should be normal for Christians, uh, and I'm, I'm going to say this, I said it a couple of weeks ago, but it's maybe a bit of a challenging thing, uh, but we're not living normal Christianity in the culture, in the West especially. It's like uh, some people say, like, let's outsource prayer, but prayer, I have a friend that says, like, I, I at a stage said to him, like, I struggle a bit with my prayer life, and then he asked the question, like, do you struggle with breathing? I said, no, I don't struggle with breathing. He says, well, then you shouldn't struggle with prayer because that's what Christians do. You, if you realize how you should pray, pray, uh, it's a complete dependence on God. It's not like, oh, I've got a prayer meeting on Thursday morning at 6 at the office. Um, that's also important where we corporately pray, but Christians pray, Christians worship, Christians are full of the joy of the Lord. And if those things are not there, then it means like maybe there's a challenge in my relationship with God. Maybe I'm not connected with God because when I love God, I talk to Him. I pray and I love what is on His heart. Amen. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to talk about if, if you had this amazing holiday. Quickly think about the best holiday you've ever had. 
the best holiday you've ever had, it's probably not the holiday where you vegged in front of the TV and watched Netflix. It was an experience. Quickly share, just, just, just say, what was that holiday, that best holiday that you've ever had? Share it with somebody next to you. Just think quickly. It's, a, it's amazing how some of the guys and the ladies' holidays are different holidays. I saw some of the ladies said this, and then the guys said, no, 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 uh-uh. that, wasn't, that wasn't it. There was no meat involved, you know? There was like, no. <clears throat> but if you, if you think, for all of us, we probably have different answers because there's different things that we're passionate about. Uh, we, in our house, we have summer holidays where we just like have really out there because we have two introverts and three extroverts and the extroverts decide to go to the fun adventurous places you know so every year we actually have to swap you know and some of our holidays are when the introverts decide like myself you know no i'm joking um which is the most boring stuff ever it's just reading books walking in nature walking in nature but i remember one of me and the other extroverts there was a putt-putt course you know we changed it into a driving course you know a, you know uh, we played putt putt 400 times that five days that we were there and, and the other two said it was the most amazing holiday ever the three extroverts said never again you know never again lord depart from us James writes in James chapter 5, verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. There was a dynamic wherever we look at the New Testament church, and a couple of weeks ago we looked at the book of Acts, there was a dynamic of prayer, there was a dynamic of singing. It says, hey, if, you, if you're rejoicing, just sing, you know, and it says in Ephesians 5, it says, whenever you come together, be filled with the Holy Spirit, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, Ephesians 5 verse 18, but it says, sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and make melody in your heart to the Lord, always to all things give thanks to the Lord Jesus, you know, <clears throat> so it's, it's like this spontaneous fountain of life. Because most of the scriptures that we read today were written in very, very tense circumstances. Um, and, and it was written either from prison or to people that were persecuted. And, and so joy was like at the essence, joy, hope, love, the stuff, internal stuff. That was what defined the church and the relationships they had. It wasn't like in our culture, everything is, or most of our identity is defined by what we do, where we go, where we stay, what we own. It's outward stuff. The church was defined by firstly their relationship with God 
And then the, this dynamic of relationship with each other. And so James says practically, and he says a lot of practical things, but he says how you speak to each other. He says you can't speak to somebody. You know, you can't bless somebody. There can't be life out of this fountain and death out of the same fountain. Sweet and bitter water doesn't come from the same fountain. And so even in a culture, if we want to live like Christians, we have to live in this space of honoring each other and celebrating each other. The moment when we begin to slander and backbite and gossip and all of those type of stuff, there's death from our mouths. You know, my mother-in-law always, whenever you say anything negative, she says, stop it, renounce that. In Jesus' name, I don't receive that which you are speaking, you know, over the country or over lives or whatever, you know. And uh, and I love that, you know, we all in December, and it's not a sin to have COVID, I mean, because some people think it's a sin, but we all isolated in December so that we can protect our mother-in-law because she's only like got a quarter of a lung that she lives on so we're 26 people there 25 people got COVID except one the one that we isolated for which was my mother-in-law the one with the quarter of a lung because she just said she will not receive this she will not bow to fear and she just went on and she didn't receive it so what a testimony yeah <clears throat> Because let me just on the side say, there's a bigger problem in the world today. It's not COVID. It's fear. Fear will break down your immune system, will break down your faith. It will break down your love for one another. We have a massive problem in the world. It's fear. It's not COVID, by the way. <laughs> if you thought it's COVID, sorry, it's not. COVID, it's got nothing to do with COVID. It's got all to do with a spirit of fear. And the way we speak and the way we handle, if we go there, you, you, your whole body is going to start to respond to that. And so here in the church, he says, even when we're sick, don't go to the doctor, go to the elders. There was such a dynamic of people praying for each other, ministering to one another, honoring each other, celebrating each other, you know, but we sort of have a default is like first go to the doctor and we have doctors. Lawson is a doctor, Izal is a doctor, there's lots of doctors, so we're not against medicine or against doctors but first go to dr jesus would you please do that first okay <laughs> you know because we we sort of just like go to to the natural stuff first the humanistic way of doing stuff and and that sort of they never gives god an opportunity to be god in our midst <clears throat> you know at the school of the supernatural we always ask when we talk about the gifts of healings we ask how many of you are sick in your body and then more than 50% of people would always raise their hand. And then I would say something very challenging. I would say the only reason why they're sick is because nobody has been praying for them. It's not that God doesn't want to heal. It's just that we never ask people around us. We don't have a culture that is biblical. And this is what James says, hey, wake up. When you have a song to sing, sing. <laughs> when you have something to give, give. When you have something, you know, when, when you're sick, come. Let's pray for each other. Let's have it a culture that... Even at the bride, you ask people like, hey, is there something we can pray for, for you? Maybe you're in trouble. Maybe you're depressed. But, but we sort of outsource those things to the people that seem to be more spiritual. And then we actually, we actually get robbed of what is a true Christian culture. And so, so I want to I challenge us to say what is normal. There was a healing culture. There was an anointing culture. They took oil. They anointed each other. They prayed for each other like we did with the mothers. We say, thank you, Lord. We celebrate, you know. Uh, parents lay hands on those kids every day. You know, Estelle used to have the grade R's or was it the grade 1's? 
in, at school, the great R's, the preschoolers, you know, at, at, uh, at the school. And it was just all, always amazing, you know, when, when she would pray over each one that would come into the room and, and she got a bit of persecution. But it, it was just so amazing when you see these godly teachers that say, hey, let's lay hands on the kids. Let's pray. Let's speak life over them. You know, I'm here today because somebody, when I was at school, prayed over my life and said, one day you're going to be in the full-time ministry. I didn't even know what full-time ministry was. I thought like half-time rugby, full-time at the end. I'm going to run onto the field and preach the gospel at the end of a rugby game. That's really what I thought when I heard the full-time, you know. So that's why we're starting Afrikaans services again for Donnie and people like that, you know. They don't need to come with the dictionary to church. But verse 16, it says like this, confess your trespasses to one another. So it's going on in this culture. And as we're going through this, I actually want you to make a note of what are one of the two things that you want to establish in your home, in your small group, in the relationships that we have. I love what this John Ortberg says. They have a motto even when it comes to small group. They say, join a small group or die. (laughs) Because he sees the importance of people being in Christian community. And that's the challenge. I've seen that even in church. A lot of people that have just after COVID have disappeared from community. They've just withdrawn, isolated, depressed. They're just like nowhere in their relationships. But they don't know that they've actually cut off their lifeline, which God gives us, is our community. It's our relationships. It's where we sing and we encourage each other and we bless each other and we rebuke each other and we challenge each other, you know. So he goes on, he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Wow. Confess your sins to one another and your trespasses. There's a difference between sin, trespasses, and transgression, according to the Bible. So he talks about trespasses here. That's when you willfully go and sin or, you know, that's another teaching for another day. But he says, healing comes in a culture of confession. When you confess your sins to God, he forgives your sins. But healing comes in an atmosphere of confession. It's an atmosphere of vulnerability, an atmosphere of accountability. And there's a lot of people that don't have that space where they can just confess their burdens and their sins. Because we, the first thing we think is like, oh, now what are the people going to think? When they find out that I am struggling with pornography. And that's why the church should be the safest place. But for some people it's the most tense place ever. Because we become hypocrites. Skein heilig. Hypocrite was just the same word was an actor. It is somebody that lives a different life at home than what they live in public. An actor acts another role than what who they really are. Same word, hypocrite. And so Jesus challenged this the most. He says, hypocrites. Who are the hypocrites? The Pharisees. <laughs> Brood of vipers. Woo. You know? <laughs> Jesus was very tense about this issue. Why? Because if there's not an atmosphere of confession, vulnerability, and openness, there won't be healing in your life. You can't just fix it between you and Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> That's what the scripture says. 
that you may be healed. Why? Because he's talking, he started with, I acknowledge the authority, that there's elders that will pray for you. There's a, there's a safe space when we acknowledge leadership, we acknowledge people that God has appointed. And uh, for most of you, it's not that big a problem, but the, this generation coming, they just like, don't believe that there is authority structures anymore because it's a culture of entitlement, the culture of, you know, dishonoring. And at the basis of Christianity is like, honor your parents, <laughs> honor leaders, honor people around you. If you don't honor them for the position, you will never be in authority yourself. And so, so he's, he's very practical. And now he comes to this part of the prayer. We always quote this part in verse 16, the second part. He says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's a great verse to quote, but you can almost quote it out of context if you've not realized what has just happened right before it. He says, you cannot be effective. You cannot be righteous. You cannot have passionate prayer in your life where you really step into authority and things begin to happen if you don't have a relational connection with the people of God. That's what I love about Me Too mentoring and a lot of, you know, we have small groups, a lot of stuff, but where people just get together. Ladies just love this. They just connect with each other. The men, we're the tough ones because we have pride. You know, we have an ego. We don't, we don't like to show our vulnerability. Now, ladies, just look straight ahead. Don't, please, don't look to the left. Don't, you know, have an accusational look. Don't think, you know, we're talking about other men outside of this room, okay? We're not, we're talking about those who did not come to church this morning, okay? But, but we, we, we're strong-willed and we're many times task-orientated. And so for us, it's, it's very difficult. I was with Angus on the farm this week and I always laugh. It just takes one, one minute, then everybody cries, you know, because he's like a bit of a crybaby, but a good crybaby, you know, cries about the right stuff. And, um, and it, but it's so amazing to actually see men that are vulnerable, that, you know, but the devil throws stuff at us, you know, and so ladies, they're very good at connecting and opening up and, you know, and sharing, but men, we take a while because of loyalty and trust and our ego and pride that is ugly, but men, you have to have men in your life that can speak into your life. You know, Angus always tells me, hey, I'm not interested in shofar, I'm not interested in your ministry. I want to talk to you. <laughs> I remember one of those days was in London, Heathrow Airport, where we were sitting, and I was flying to, to Switzerland to, to go and help with the church plant there after we've been two weeks away. And then he sat me down in this little, on this little table, just like this one. So that's why we have this table here. It reminds me of the wrath of Angus, you know. But in any case, uh, sitting at the table, and then he said to me, you will never do this again. You will never fly alone. You will never do this, da 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 da, da. And if ever, I will personally come and sort you out. And then he phoned Louise at home, and then he phoned people, and he said, like, you're going to go to Switzerland, but this is not going to happen ever that you travel alone and all that stuff. And he just gave me a list of stuff. I was so offended. I was so offended. I wanted to say, get behind me. You don't know. I'm anointed, you know. But that was the most wisest words I've had, and I submit to it completely. <laughs> Why? Because I need that in my life. You need that in your life. There's not a one-man show. There's not a one-lady show. And so, so James challenges us this because listen how he goes on in this, um, after this confession and this openness of walking in the light of, of deliberately 
putting yourself in a space of accountability and of being challenged by other people that may be different than you. And I want to challenge everyone. You have to, I think John said it last week, get somebody from another culture that you invite onto your dining table because you're going to learn so much. Don't just mingle with people that are the same like you because there's so much that you, we can learn from each other, different cultures. You know, in, invite somebody that eats chilies. You, you're going you're gonna to find a new, different dimension of your own body later, you know? It's, it's just amazing um, how many places you can burn for days afterwards. But in any case, in, let's not go into any detail. But it says this, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Confession and praying. Do we really pray for each other? Do we, are we really in that space where I'm carrying Tani Nancy? <laughs> or is it like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you, you know? I hear it many times. Oh, I was thinking about you on Thursday. Don't think about me, please. That's going to not add anything to my life or anything to your life. The w- reason why you thought about me on Thursday was you were supposed to pray for me because the Holy Spirit said, hey, pray for him or for her. <laughs> The Holy Spirit is so faithful to tell us when to pray for people specifically. There's some people you have to pray for every day. Pray for your children. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the country. Pray for Cyril Ramaphosa. He's been appointed by God and he's going through many challenging things. But hey, we pray because that's what Scripture says. So pray for one another. Confess to one another. Because it says here in that context, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And he did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So there was a culture of confession, a culture of praying for one another, a culture of praying effective fervent prayers. And there was an authority. He talks about this Elijah. Elijah had signs and wonders that followed him with his prayers. There were signs and wonders because his relationship was intact. No, it wasn't. Do you know that Elijah missed his calling? And, and he, it's, what I love about Scripture is what he doesn't say sometimes. <laughs> Elijah had all the signs and the wonders, but Elijah didn't have the first part in his life. You can go and read the story in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah actually went down like a lady giving birth, and he birthed the purposes of God. He birthed rain. It was just amazing. But then came a place where Elijah was isolated from exactly what James talks about. So what happens is Jezebel which was this lady that was married to a man that had no authority, Ahab. We talk about Ahab and a Jezebel spirit sometimes, you know, which was controlling and seducing and intimidating. And so Elijah, make a long story short, going to read it. He had the bold prophets. He confronted the bold prophets. It was amazing. He even called out, says, hey, throw water on it. He threw water on his own stuff, and God brought the fire down. So this guy was really operating in authoritative prayer. And then after this major breakthrough, he was riding the wave of, wow, this is amazing. He got a bit of a discouraged moment. He went down to the dump. Extroverts, highs are high, lows are low. (laughs) And so he, he struck a bit of a low. And then Jezebel sent him a word, a word of manipulation, and says, I'm going to kill you. And then Elijah ran for his life. 
Elijah found himself at a little river. Uh, God provided. He sent the, you know, he sent the, the birds to bring him bread and meat. No vegetables, I mean. And, um, and so now Elijah goes into the self-pity and then God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And what does Elijah say? Elijah says, I'm the only one that are left. I'm the only one. And God says, no, you're not. I preserved a couple of hundred prophets in the caves for a long time. What are you doing here, Elijah? And we never hear the end of that story. All we hear is Elijah eventually gave over his mantle to Elisha. But Elijah couldn't do what God has called him to do because of isolation. Because he never found himself at the place God provided with the prophets up in the mountains. So we read this beautiful story. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man's avail much. Just get into your authority. But it actually misses the whole point if you don't know the story of what really happened to Elijah. Eventually, Elisha went on to do double what Elijah did. God restored and so, so we can learn so much about this community and this culture that God wants us <laughs> to live in. It's, it's to love each other, but to be challenged and not to be isolated. And let me just say that maybe you feel a bit isolated even here this morning or you're listening online. Break isolation. Get out of that. Just force yourself to get into the community of believers. Because isn't it like that when you just share sometimes and you live with other people and suddenly you're like, joyous or if you're in the presence of god the heaviness just lifts huh isn't it like that but when you're isolated it's just your thoughts on your own what you're doing wrong the accuser comes in and, and you're in trouble and so god wants us to have effective fervent prayers like elijah but elijah the elijah must position himself to be able to pray to be able to see the signs of and wonders, you, you have to be in the right relationships. You have to live in a place of praying for each other and confessing your sins to one another and, and living in that space where there's people praying and singing and there's this beautiful place where there's a, a place where we live. Not dependent on each other, but interdependent. We can only be dependent on God, not on people. And never independent. We must be interdependent. And that's why what the body is so beautiful, the body, the hand, everything works together. We need each other because you can't do it without the hand. You can't do it without the ear <laughs> and especially not the heart. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so the last part, and this is where we're going to end and then we're going to just be a bit practical. Then verse 19, he goes on. So now he says like, hey, God wants to release this amazing authority through your life. God wants you to pray like Elijah. He was just a natural man, just a nature like ours. And, and that effective fervent prayer. And then he goes on and he sort of like just puts something there at the end. He says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Wow. So it says, if your prayer does not have the effect of like, hey, it's not just for the signs of the wonders, but when I love the truth and I bring people back into that truth, when I have a heart for the, especially the sinners out there, and I, and I draw them in 
Do you know there will be a place where there will be a covering of a multitude of sins, a safe space? It's not talking about the person you bring in. It's not talking that there'll be a covering for them. It says for you. There'll be a covering for your sins and the community that you live in. When you love the truth and you restore people to the truth and you go and find people and bring them back. So I want you, I want you to think of two or three people that you haven't seen in a year and WhatsApp them. Ask them like, hey, what's going on in your life? How can I, how can I reach out to you? How can I bring you back to that first love in your life. And so truth, truth is amazing. Scripture says this, and you can just write this down. We're not going to go into that. But it says we must love the truth. We must obey the truth. We must have a displayed truth in our life. We must manifest the truth in life, in a life of love. Truth must be spoken in love. And then just, there's a lot of scriptures there that you can read or write down we'll, we'll i just want to end with this thing christian truth is not a, a matter of knowledge opinion argument or debate it is a way of life and action christian truth is a moral truth it is something to be studied it is not something to be studied but something that needs to be done not only submit your mind to it but your whole life it is the affair of life it ultimately lies in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is truth. And so the way we live as Christians, the way we live in this truthful environment, also to say, hey, maybe I'm not that perfect, and maybe I need to confess some sins, and maybe I need to be vulnerable. Maybe I need to pray more for other people. Maybe, sure, because I, I want to live in that space where I see God signs and wonders over my life. But I realize it cannot happen if my relational first swear is in the right place, but then also if I have a heart for those who are outside of that place. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to go get them. <laughs> I want them to be restored back. It's not just talking about Christians that strayed. It's like people that don't know the truth. They don't know Jesus. And so to have a love for the truth, I remember two years ago when we asked Everyone to go and pray about what is important to us here at Shofar Stellenbosch. The number one thing was people says, we love the truth. We're pure and we love the truth. <laughs> we, we, we're not going to compromise on the truth. We live in an environment and a culture of compromise. Everyone is tolerant. Everyone is all the gender fluidity, all the nonsense, you know. The world is messing with the culture of the day. It's like everything that is a lie is portrayed as truth. But there's only one ultimate truth. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, so James challenges us so much about what is, what is truthful in our relationships, what is truthful in the way that we live. Because once we commit to that way of living, we'll see the power of God in our prayers. And I, I strongly believe that God is about to do something, not something new, just something scriptural. <laughs> When people prophesy, oh, God is going to do something new, then I run. Because God is doing nothing new. <laughs> Even revival means to have a revisitation of what Christ has already done. It's to revision. It's to re-see the cross where the gospel has its effect in our community again. But everyone wants to have a new thing, a new experience, a new doctrine. And I think that's going to revive us. No, revival starts here. Yeah. 
with me when I walk in the truth, when I confess, when I live free from the things of this world, but also free from the sins that so easily ensnare me and the cares of this world. <laughs> Amen? That's where truth starts. That's where revival starts is when the people of God become free. And they humble themselves and pray. And then God starts to heal their land. Why? Because we're free. We're free from the culture of the day that dictates what we must do and how we should live and what is important. It's the love, the joy, the peace, the things of the kingdom of God in your heart. It's when normal people are being set free. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, I, there's lots of people want to think spiritual maturity means like I must study more theology, get more knowledge. He says, no, to really be deep is when you adopt a baby that's been thrown away. That's deep. That's maturity. That's real Christianity. When you live against the norm of just self and me. Sure. So this morning, I want you to think, maybe you have a little bit of a notebook or something. What do you want to change in your culture? If we, th we, if we talk about normal Christianity, what, what are some of these things that James highlight and that maybe stands out for you? I'm going to give you a minute just to chat to somebody. But first think of like, don't think of major steps. Don't think of, oh, Elijah, I must call down the ball prophets tomorrow. It is going to happen. <laughs> but in our relationships, what are, what are some stuff? Maybe you as a family are living a, a life of isolation. You don't have other people that can speak into your life or can speak into your children's life because we become overprotective sometimes over our families. We play God in our families to our children. Ooh. In Stellenbosch, there's a culture of parents worshiping their children. The children becomes the center of their relationship with God. And the best thing you can do for your children is to love God passionately, to serve God, teach them what obedience means, and see how they're going to follow God. Because they'll only do what you do. They won't do what you say. And if we helicopter parents our children, then we train them that they must be selfish because now they become the center of the home and not the worship of God. That's what I love, like families like Andre, his family. You know, when the lockdown, Andre phone me and says, my family, we need to get involved. We're going to pack potatoes. And there were lots of other families, John Yip's family. We are going to pack potatoes. So they came in and they were there. I don't know if the children were always so excited about it, but hallelujah, we bless you, okay? I don't know if you, sometimes you bribe your children for that, but I don't know what happened in the Kutsia family. But it was such a beautiful example to me, like, hey, this is what we as a family do. When there's need out there, we don't draw into ourselves and we just think like, oh, the world is falling apart. Now is the opportunity for the church to serve. Now is the opportunity for us to create a new culture of what church should look like. So I'm so excited about COVID. I am so excited. I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're shaking it. Shake us more. Shake us more, Lord. Because we're in our comfort zone. We just think this is Christianity. But Lord, if you want to bring it on, make it more terrible for us. 
not any amens in this place, you know. <laughs> I'm not talking about fear. I'm not talking about the fruit of the COVID. But I, what I am talking about is like, hey, God is not interested in our happiness. God is not primarily there for our comfort. God is there so that we can see his glory and know his presence and live like Christians do. Because that's where 70% of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East live. They have to be confronted with fear every day. They have to many times deny their own family members to serve God. So what do I tell them? No, you know, we in the West, we just like, we're actually more blessed than you. We had a conference, a pastor's conference, how to joyfully embrace persecution. I wonder if we have that conference in the West, how many people will come? Not one. We had 80 pastors there from the Malayas, persecuted areas in India. And they came. I said, hallelujah. The joy of the Lord will be our strength. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.